Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. Hello. How is everyone doing? Good, good. I, um... I'm a little bit croaky, um, sorry. I do, um, we were in, um, um, the bushfires are pretty, that were pretty bad down there and literally every day the house just smelt like smoke outside the house, inside the house and so I think I was just congested the whole time with the smoke and um, I'll tell you, it's something that I struggle with anyways, allergies and the more we seem to pray for allergies and other people get healed, <laughs> I'm like, Jesus, I need healing too and so it's not going to stop me praying, we'll keep praying, we'll keep praying for people to be healed of that kind of stuff. Um, let's pray before I even get started, we'll just pray, okay? Uh, thank you, even, even with that song and even the worship leader who came tonight, thank you for Emily, thank you that she turned up here just to lead and even though she herself was sick, we just bless her father, we bless her as she's even driving home and pray for an amazing night's rest and sleep for her and um, that you would really bless her body and and heal her body, that she'd wake up fully refreshed in the morning. Oh God, I pray that for all of our people, as Clayton's already prayed, the people that are dealing with some sickness right now, we do bless those families. We bless, we bless your health and your peace and your life over those homes and over those families and all of our homes, Father, and do pray. Um, your word, is, it's a promise to us that we would be healthy. It's a promise to us, as Clayton said, that there's no bronchitis in heaven, so we don't accept it here either. And it's true of every sickness and every disease, God. Nothing like that exists in heaven. It cannot stand. And God, you want that, your will to be done here on earth in the same way. Your will in heaven is that none of that exists. Your will on earth here is that none of that exists. And so God, we're leaning into that. We're asking you to do great miracles among us. Thank you for the many miracles we have seen, but we're asking for more. We're asking Lord God that there would be um, even though there's been amazing ones, we're praying for more amazing, more supernatural miracles, more, God, more, that you always have more for us. Help us to be people who will never never settle, never sit down, never be too tired and overwhelmed that we sit down and just get a little tired. Let us all the more, God, be people who get up and pray and seek your face and go after the things that you want in our individual life or families, but also as a family, collectively, Father. I just pray that we'd be people that would go after you with everything we have. Your will, your way, your church your will, your way, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so, um, I just even before we start, and I'm going to say this, I've said it a few times, but I really worth, it's worth saying it again. Um, um, it was D.L. Moody was running Chicago meetings in Chicago, and um, revival was happening, and there was crowds um, pouring into building, trying to fit in the building, and worship would be happening, or preaching, whatever, and there's just a lot of kids in the room, they didn't have a childcare program. Um, we, in our modern way of doing church now, with so good... Um, we think that we're so good, we're better because we have all our programs. No, <laughs> we have Jesus is what makes us good and his presence alone. Now, but back then they didn't have the childcare programs and so the kids were running around and they were being noisy as kids are. But it's a beautiful noisy and it's a great joy-filled noisy and sometimes it's a little um, distracting noisy. I get that. But D.L. Moody did this to all the people that were complaining. He said, okay, tomorrow night, anybody with kids you have your way in this room and if you don't have kids, don't even come to the meeting tomorrow night. Which I think is quite a strong word to give, but he did it anyway. If you don't have kids, 
don't even come tomorrow night. <laughs> so, so the people that were complaining about the kids being noisy borrowed other people's kids so they could come to the meeting that next night. Because the presence of God is much more important and being around the presence of God is so much more important than the things that we think are distracting us from our worship moment or listening to the word or whatever else. And so for me, I'm sitting down here and there's kids behind me and kids in front of me and some are dancing and some are, some are engaged in worship, others are not. They're laughing and giggling among themselves, but they're in the glory. They're doing it in the presence of God. And so the, one of the kids, at one point, some of the kids really giggled and laughed and my heart just lifted because there's nothing like hearing a kid, just that genuine giggle out of a kid's heart, like that joy-filled laughter. I just, it blesses my heart so much. And I just, I can't imagine what it does to God's heart. That's why Jesus said, you can only receive the kingdom like a child. With joy. Joy-filled expectation of what God's going to do, right? So, so we, we want the kids, we want the kids to really enjoy church. Now, I don't want my kids to be running around distracting everybody right I, I give them a few boundaries but at the same time really want them to know that this is a place for them as much as anybody else right amen amen kids have got to love the house of God so amen anyway so uh, 2020 welcome to 2020 I haven't seen you all because I was in Australia on New Year's Eve on New Year's Eve we had the worst firestorm I've ever lived through <laughs> so literally at 2 p.m I was on the beach and I was with my sister-in-law and her son and Bella it's just the four of us and their dog and we're on the beach and the kids are swimming and the sky just started um, getting a little bit orange gray two o'clock in the afternoon mind you so orange gray just kind of drifted over and I knew oh that's a fire somewhere we're just seeing some of the smoke <laughs> so so we, kids are swimming but then what the wind started blowing and ash started falling on me miles miles away from where the nearest fire it just started falling on me and we were sitting on the beach I was laughing because it was weird it's weird it's a bit apocalyptic right you can read stories of apocalypse like revelation or see movies with you know apocalyptic moments it was a little bit like that when big bits of ash just started raining down on us and then and then uh, by three o'clock we'd come up from the beach and within minutes of walking up to the beach the sky just went dark dark orange brown and then black and at 3 30 our house lights were on because it was pitch black dark that's a really weird moment in the middle of the day in summertime in Australia. The winds came up and, and we were just showered with a lot of ash just from the fires nearby. Um, and it was, it was not such a, a um, worried night. It was just that already had a few storms like that previous to me getting there. I wasn't too concerned. We didn't really know the danger. Two hours south of us, whole towns were just decimated and lost in the fires that blew me away because we had no idea of the danger we lost all contact and internet and power and everything even our lights after a while went off but um a couple of days later they said now another firestorm's going to come through and now your town's in trouble <laughs> and so half the, all of the surrounding towns evacuated because they went door to door and said you need to leave and then our town which is a bit closer to the beach and that it's not quite as um hasn't got quite the state forests come right to the edges of a lot of the towns. Ours is a little more uh, f uh, open. Um, so we, we didn't evacuate. Half of the town did, but we didn't. But we got our evacuation bag on the floor and my, my two boys are on the front of the house and me and my dad are on the back of the house like just watching for ash again, going, if it, if it goes pitch black, I don't know what we're going to do because <laughs> we won't be able to see. Um, but we just waited there for a few minutes and then a few minutes more and then a few minutes more after that. 
and a blast of wind came up for about one minute, two minutes, and me and my dad were kind of like, wow, it's really, it was big, big wind, like you need glasses on to protect your eyes. It stopped, and then it was the calmest, coolest night, and no, plant, no, no fire, no issues, nothing. It was a very weird moment to have no warning and go, then go through a really bad apocalyptic type firestorm and then all of the warning included a lot of evacuations and zero issues, zero wind, zero nothing. We just had a really beautiful night. The ocean was calm. There was no wind. My parents live right on the ocean. And um, I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm not sure exactly all of why I'm saying that other than that was my 2020. That was welcome to 2020. <laughs> all the, no warning, bad firestorm. All of the warning, no firestorm at all. And I think that our life can be like that. If you watch the news, you can get really upset by things that really aren't big issues at all. Then when a big issue comes, you have no warning. Like, I don't want to over-talk about Bella because it's like after a while you guys will get sick of that. But no warning to that. But all of the warning in the world to some other kind of emergency that doesn't happen, um, our lives can be roller coasters of Oh my goodness, what's, what's next? What's next weekend? What's this week? What's the news saying? What's, what, uh, fire, firemen are knocking people's doors and evacuating our town. What for? And three days later, zero, no reason. So 2020, it's a little bit of an overused euphemism, but 2020 vision. <laughs> a lot of people are using that, you know, this month and for this year. Oh, have vision, right? Great, I'm all for it. That's not what I'm about to talk about. However, it is very important that we be people who really can have spiritual vision. Not what I write down for my life and the hopes and the expectation I have for my life. I mean the ability to see and hear what God is wanting to say and do in my life and in our lives as, as a whole. That we'd be people who can know how to tune into the voice of the Holy Spirit and see and hear everything he's wanting us to do. And just be people who do it very simply, without worry. The night that the evacuations happened in my town, where the local towns all around us were fully evacuated and probably half the people in my town left... Um, I had uh, an evacuation bag packed with all of Bella's medical stuff, the important medical stuff, in a swim bag because if, if fire came, I had to go and just swim out in the ocean, wait for the fire to pass. That's what the other towns south of us did. And um, I packed the bag and I started to, you know, pray, you know, talk to God all the time, do it, talk to God all the time. But he kept saying to me, you have no need of worry. You have no need to worry. You don't even really need to pack the bag. Everybody's half the town's gone. All of the towns around us have left. The Holy Spirit kept saying to me, you have no need to worry. You don't even need to pack your bag. Earlier that day, I'd gone to the store to go buy some batteries and water, <laughs> as people do, because a lot of people were prepping. And I was in the store looking at the water, and Holy Spirit goes, you don't need that. Walk out of the store. <laughs> and so I did, going, oh, I'm really trusting you here, aren't I? <laughs> because Batemans Bay, two hours south of us, is gone. <laughs> And, but the Holy Spirit kept saying, you have no need of that. After a while, so I packed the bag a few hours later, the evacuation bag, and kind of had the conversation with God going, I'm doing this just because my dad's packed his bag and I've got to look like I've prepared something, but I really felt very protected. I'm trying to explain, I felt very, very protected by God the whole time. And, and not, because, not because we are untouchable as Christians, because for sure we are. For sure, people walk through hard, horrible circumstances. But it's in the hearing him and we'll hear prophetically what is going to happen, what we might or might not need to do. I was hearing that day, there's no danger tonight. Even though three days, four days earlier, the other towns south of you are gone, disappeared off the map. 
Holy Spirit saying, I know that, you're safe. So it was a bit of a surreal thing to see the news and to see Batemans Bay and to be getting phone calls from other Australian people where we are, other family members in our same town, left town. It's a bit strange when the Holy Spirit is saying, you are safe, you don't even need your evacuation bag. So... If you can understand, if you can understand that, I, I I don't want to paint too much of a glary picture because it's not really what my message is about. Other than hear Holy Spirit, obey Holy Spirit, hear His voice, listen to Him, and do what He's saying every single time because He will not let you down. People will. Holy Spirit will never let you down. He is God, and He is God who said He'll never leave you and never forsake you ever. He is God and his voice, his voice will speak louder to you, especially in the moments when you really need it. And, and even if you sometimes doubt it, you can ask again and say, was that really you? Was that the voice I was hearing in that moment? You can say, because he wants to confirm his word to you so that you do trust him and then the next time can trust him all the more because when what he says is then fulfilled in your life, your faith grows and then you've got more faith to stand on the next time you're told you don't need your evacuation bag, you're going to be fine through this storm, it's not going to touch you. Does that make sense? God makes it pretty simple for us to be Christians on the one hand. It's see and hear him, obey him. That's it. Now in the obeying, there can be cost. I had to move to America. 21 years later, I'm living here in America. That's cost. I've just left my family emotionally crying in tears again, going, God, I'm in America again. Just remind me again. There's a cost to it. So it's not that there's not a cost but, but God is who is faithful. And if we are just be people who be willing to hear and obey every single day. I love this. So who's heard of um, Bob Jones? Oh, there's two Bob Joneses actually. There's one who's got like a whole school system and curriculum. that He's a Baptist. I don't mean him. I mean the prophetic guy, the loose cannon, prophetic, great, amazing man of God who um, was kicked out of churches because he was so full of the Holy Spirit and they didn't want that. And he was prophetic. But he said this, and this is great. He goes, he goes um, every day I get up, and just sit with God, and I do what the Holy Spirit's told me to do that day. And if he's not giving me anything to do that day, I have a day off. <laughs> so I just, I went, that makes it so simple. That makes life so simple. So, so we can really hear Holy Spirit and live that, that simply. And it's not, it's not for the lack of simplicity in my life. I've got the busiest year. I'm about to walk into 2020 as a really very busy year with the things God's given me to do. So there's a lot to do. But if it's you're in the place of obeying him, there's so much grace for the empowerment for the journey and you can flow in the power of the Holy Spirit to do everything he's asked you to do. Amen? Amen. So, okay. So, I think, um, I don't know what week it was, maybe the first or second week in December last year, I just talked about 2020 um, being a year for our church more than our church, but specifically our church, a year for God's people to have um, a year of, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, joy, <laughs> I couldn't get it out. Joy-filled breakthrough. Like joy-filled breakthrough. Um, and I know that some people have landed with us, some have been with us, you know, this is, we're entering now our, the beginning of our third year as a church, new, brand new church plant. Um, and so I know some people know part of our story, some people don't know it all. Um, but many in our church had a very tough year last year, um, loss of family members, um, sickness or work issues, job loss, just a lot, a lot. And 
it just caused our people to buckle down all the more and trust in God all the more. And I was so proud of people's responses of their heart to just go, oh, oh, I see that this is the enemy trying to bring it to me to make me be quiet and sit down and do no more. I'm going to stand up all the more in the, in the will of God, knowing that he's the one who stands me up on my two feet. And because when I'm standing in him, he's going to give me the grace, all of the empowerment, I can keep standing, right? And, that's, and, so, and so our, many of our people have just learned to do that. And in that obedience, joy comes. Joy, in that sense, becomes our warfare in the place of obedience. When I'm standing, no matter what the circumstances the enemy is throwing, last year was a lot of horrible ones for many of us, my obedience in the place of those circumstances and my ability just to keep my focus on Jesus, not on my circumstance, and not let the circumstance sit on me and push me down is the thing that is going to cause joy to break forth in me because then I see that God is the one who's faithful all along. It's not about me being faithful even. It's about his faithfulness on the other side. He is who is faithful and he is who is good and he is the one that wants to show himself good in our lives. But our focus has to be on him. Our focus has to be his heart, his will, his intent, his agenda in my life and in our church. It's got to be his church, his way, my life, his way lived according to his pattern and his plan and not man's. And when we can be people that will do that, then we experience the joy-filled breakthrough, overcoming, overflowing joy on the other end. See, hope becomes our expectation when we know life is not about what I get or don't get or the circumstances that I have to walk through. When I understand instead that God is on my, God is, I was about to say on my side, God is beside me. It's not so much, we sing it, I get it, we sing God's on my side, but it's really, I'm on God's side, <laughs> and he is who is good, and so I choose to make my, put my, plant my life on his side, obeying, loving, quick, quick-hearted willingness to just obey in every situation, no matter the circumstance, and then you, you just see his hand at work. The last song we sung is um, Waymaker, what, Waymaker, <laughs> <laughs> Miracle worker, light in the darkness, waymaker. But it says you never stop working, you never stop working. Um, I didn't know the song set tonight because I've been in Australia, but one of the first scriptures I had to read was John 5.17. John writes that Jesus said, my father is always at his work to this very day and I am too. There's a scripture I was starting with. I didn't know they were singing that song. God, God is the one who's always at work in the details behind our lives, whether we see him and recognize that or not. He never stops working. He's the one. He is who is faithful. He is who will fulfill you. He is why we can say, I'm content, even with these horrible circumstances that I might have to walk through, because Jesus is with me and he'll never leave me. He'll never put me down. He'll never set me aside. Even if I fall down, he's the one that'll pick me back up. I don't have to worry about my failure. He sets me back on my feet and says, run again, go again. That's Jesus. And I know that the church hasn't always portrayed that very well. So 2020, a year of joy-filled breakthrough. Understand that it is our choice to be obedient, our, cho our choice to, even in the obedience then, to just go, I'm the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit's filled me, I'm filled with joy in your presence. Joy comes because I'm filled with the Spirit. God lives on the inside of me. 
It's one of his attributes. He is joyful. Even when he looks at the world of pain and famine and issues, he's still full of joy. People aren't because people, we're not God, so we can't understand how he can equally see the pain and the hurt in the world and equally be so filled with joy. But our promise is that if we're filled with him, he'll be, we'll be joyful. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, one of the, under, one of the words for it is to be um, filled with grace. The Holy Spirit gifts in our life are called grace gifts or gracelets. And the same word grace also means joy. And so if we're just people who just go, I, just, I need you, God. I want more of you in my life, God. I need your joy to overcome in me the areas that I've, I've let fall over or, I, or I've forgotten about your faithfulness. I need you again. I need to encounter you again so that you will overflow and you will overcome and break away those hard areas in me and fill those dry areas with your presence. Joy. Same as being, you can say, Romans 14.7 is the with the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but it is righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And those, that's our inheritance to be experienced right now. Not, not our inheritance waiting for some time off in the future. It's an inheritance for us to experience right now. We don't always, I get that, but it is for us right now. So joy-filled year. Now, I want to just move on a little bit because that was, that was trying to just remind people of what I spoke about a few weeks ago concerning joy. Um, um, heartbreakingly, I hear of too many stories of people who've been disillusioned by church. Can you open that for me? Thanks. I hear way too many stories of people who've been disillusioned and hurt by church. In Australia, I had people contacting me and meeting for coffee and then for prayer and then even, even here in my own city, my own immediate neighbourhood, there's a lot of people who've been burnt on church. And even a conversation I had tonight with someone who's just disillusioned on, on wow, I, I thought church was supposed to be a life-giving place. And I think that um, as much as that might break your heart and my heart, I just, that God's heart breaks. God's heart breaks for that because his own reputation is the one that's on the line. The Father is good. God is good. But it is people who give him a bad reputation when we misrepresent his heart. And I think that not just this coming year, a year of joyful breakthrough, I think that this coming whole decade is going to be a year, a decade, 10 years of him really uh, reorganising and restructuring a lot of his church and drawing a very, very clear line in the sand of what is true, what is true family versus just an event that I show up to on a weekend and serve and that does not help people. If, it, if church becomes an event where I turn up because I've got a job and I've just got to serve and fill a roster, then it's an event and the family of God is misrepresented because family is where hearts are linked up and I know what's going on in my brother or my sister's life. I can come around and surround. I can come around and pray for. Sometimes I come around and help with my finances. Some, sometimes I come around and help them move house. Whatever it might look like, whatever the needs are that we have as a family, the kingdom of God is a family. And if the church is lacking that authentic, real family, then it's not a church. And I think that this 2020, this, this whole decade, the 20s, like you heard that term, the roaring 20s, I th it's going to be a time where God is going to get up and roar in a way that is going to really show this is what my true church should look like. God, in every period of history, no matter whether it's Old Testament, 
or New Testament in every period of history was continually reviving and reforming his people. There's never been in a time in history where he didn't. Never. Reform and revival, often, not always, but often just go hand in hand. We have to be reformed, not in a way, not in a negative way, but just in a realignment with our heart, with who he is, a realignment with who Jesus is, a realignment with truth, the truth of the word of God. Authentic is a word that is overused in our culture. It's overused and because of that, the understanding of being authentic even gets watered down, I think. I know that some of you will understand it to mean that tr- something like true to the original or, or um, like bona fide, the genuine article, the real thing. You can, we can use those phrases to understand authentic. But I just want to explain Jesus' life is the life. He came as the perfect example to live the truth. He is truth personified. God incarnate came as a man and took on flesh, human flesh, and we call him the word of God because of it. And so when our lives come again and again, and then our church also and our families come again and again into alignment with who Jesus is, we, our lives then line up with his truth. Our lives become uh, the, the real thing. Our lives start to become the bona fide, genuine article, not in a human form, in a human sense, but according to the pattern that Jesus lived and laid out for us. It's only as our lives come into clear focus with him can we really stand up and go, oh, oh, I know what the genuine is. It's Jesus. He is what is genuine. And our lives have to line up again and again with him and who he is and what he says and what he's done for me personally in our lives. But then, you know, as a family, as I'm raising my kids, as I'm being a wife, my life must line up with his truth for it to be a genuine thing, the genuine thing. Our church has got to be the same way. Our church must be a church that lines up with the word of God. And not, not in a legalistic way, not to, not to throw scriptures at people and try and condemn them, but in a very life-giving, real way. So, so oh, I should get to some scripture. I'll, I'll start with this one. John 5, verse 19. For Jesus is our example he is what is authentic. He is what is true. He came to model for you and me how we should live in every aspect of life. Every aspect of life. Then listen to what he said about himself. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. Now, understand, Jesus was God, but he set aside that part of himself that would, his own initiative, his own decision-making, to take on the human flesh like you and I, still fully God, but to take on human flesh so that he could also live fully human. So in every way, we have someone that can relate to us, relate to my thinking and feeling, relate to when I fail, relate to when I am tempted by things, relate to when I'm able to resist the temptation, relate to he resisted all temptation. But, you know, we don't, we're, we're still imperfect. But, but relate to us when, because he's lived among us, relate to us when we do fall down so he can pick us up and give us grace again. Does that make sense? So now this is truly God, fully God in every way, but fully human also in every way lived on the earth in, in such humility 
that he set his own divinity aside, didn't, he was still, still God, but he set his ability aside to be the initiator, to be God, so that he would be someone who'd live fully dependent on the Holy Spirit for every single day, for everything he needed, whether it was food, whether it was his ministry life, whether it was every single day just eating and walking around and meeting people. He lived fully dependent on the Holy Spirit, fully filled with the Holy Spirit, as an example for you and I. That's it. And so he could then say, everything that the Father does, I do. Everything the Father, I see the Father doing, I do. Everything I hear him saying, I say. And that was as our example. And that is how we be authentic people. <laughs> and we be people so filled with God, so filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to explain, this is not a hard thing. We go, we sit down and go, how do I do that? I can see how that person over there who's a big prayer or they fast a lot or, or oh, they've got a big ministry. I see on that person how that might happen. And we put ourselves down and we categorize ourselves according to then what we think is a good prayer life and what we must do or need to get filled the infilling of the Holy Spirit is for every single believer, every single believer. And not, it's, it goes beyond, transcends age. It's not about an age. It's not about a maturity. It's not about, well, uh, that person's been a Christian a lot longer. They know more Bible than I do. None of that. It's about God with us, Holy Spirit. Jesus came and they called it, they said, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus then went to, the heaven, to heaven and said, I'm about to send the one, Holy Spirit, who's going to come alongside you just as I was alongside you so that you know how to do life like me, dependent on God. And the Holy Spirit then became God with us, our Emmanuel in that sense, God with us, filling us every single day and surrounding us so that we can depend on God and have incredible relationship with him. He does not look at your faults and your failures and the things that you think are the misgivings. He just looks at you through the eyes of Jesus. He sees perfection on you because he sees the perfection of Jesus. I've said this before, but this has got to always continually be stated because we sometimes just sit and languish under our own failure instead of understanding that God's a good father and he doesn't count our failure. He doesn't count our sins against us anymore. It's all under the blood. And because it's under the blood, now you have the righteousness of Christ Jesus. And so God the Father looks at you as if you were Jesus himself. We're not gods. We're the sons and daughters of God. But you have the righteousness of Jesus given to you. And you are fully, fully pure before the Father. Fully. And that removes from us all striving. That removes from us our need to... Um, think that life is all up to us. Our need to think that we've got it all together, therefore now I'm ready for ministry, or therefore now God can use me. Like, what? Read your Bible. Because, <laughs> you know, you can read your Bible and you can see all kinds of people with all kinds of messed up lives. In the New Testament, it was Jesus coming and living, fully dependent on the Holy Spirit for everything as our model. As this verse says, my father, oh sorry, the son can do nothing by himself. It's not that can do nothing by himself. He chose to do nothing by himself because Colossians and Philippians speak about the same thing. He chose humbly to do nothing of his own initiative and only do that what he saw the father doing and saying, speak and do as you see the father do and say. And if we'll be people who'll just live that, it uncomplicates Christian life so much, um, uncomplicates all of life so much is we can be people like Bob Jones who said, I just get up and what does the Holy Spirit want me to do today? And I do that. And if he doesn't say anything, I have a day off. <laughs> does that make sense? Okay. 
So authentic church. I do want to get to a few different scriptures. I'm going to read from Mark chapter 11. So if you can all turn there. Um, So Mark 11, and this is commonly known, it's where Jesus curses a fig tree. So from verse 12, I'm going to read. Mark 11, verse 12. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Now, if that verse, if those verses were just on their own, they're not, but if they were just on their own, that would be a really um, ambiguous type of verse to understand why, what was it about a fig tree? Like, what, what makes Jesus go around cursing fig trees? What makes him go, I'm angry with you because you have no fruit on you? Well, the next verse is, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves, and he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. As he taught them, he said, It is not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now skip down to... Oh, no, I'll keep reading. Verse 18. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and they began looking for a way to kill him. They feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. Verse 19. When evening came, Jesus and the disciples went out of the city, back to Bethany where they were staying. The next day, they get up and they start walking back into the town. Verse 20. In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. And Peter remembered what Jesus had said and that, that the fig tree had been cursed. So, so why, why is these verses of a fig tree um, sandwiched in between Jesus overturning tables in the temple court and running through and saying, hey, my house will be called a house of prayer. You've turned it into a den of robbers and I'm reforming it today. Why? Why would those verses about if he curses the fig tree, he goes into the temple, up changes the money, and the next day they see a dead fig tree? I find it really interesting that Jesus saw in the distance that there was foliage on the fig tree, foliage on a fig tree, and by the way, it was the wrong season. That's why he saw it in the distance and went over to see if it had fruit on it because a fig tree's fruit always appears at the same time that the foliage appears. They never appear apart. In the spring, the fruit is there. It's not yet ripe, but the fruit has appeared and beginning to develop already as the foliage comes out. But Jesus saw in the distance a a tree full of foliage with no fruit. And then he goes into the church and declares, my church will be a house of prayer. And he upends the merchants, upends all of the money-changing tables, rips through the temple saying, you're all hypocrites. The tree is a picture of a hypocrite, full of foliage, looking beautiful, looking amazing, but zero fruit. This is why I know that in the next, oh, cry, 
in the next 10 years, I really believe that God is going to do a great reforming work here in America. And I even think that the current administration that we have, like him or love him, doesn't even matter. God is using the man. I just know that, that this coming 10 years... God is going to do a great reforming work in his church here in America. He's going to purify the church and perfect his church. He's coming back for a very beautiful bride, not a broken one, not a wrinkled one, not an anemic bride because Jesus is the head of the church and we are the body. And it's not supposed to be Jesus with a gorgeous, beautiful face that we all know is full of beauty and then an anemic body on the church. It's a full body that's matching an equal weight to the glory of God. And the Bible talks about this. We are supposed to be matching an equal weight. If we are full of him, we'll be matching an equal weight in every way, his beauty and his fullness. And I just think in the next 10 years, we're going to see that happen. We're going to see God draw a very big line in the sand. And you are going to very clearly see what is church and what is not. What is kingdom and what is just man's idea and man's plans, and man's agenda. I think God's had enough of foliage, you know, fig trees looking beautiful with lots of foliage, but no fruit. So what is the fruit? What, what fruit are we talking about? I mean transformed lives. And not transformed because I'm now running around trying to fit into a new program and the new church I've just arrived in and fill all their, whatever it is they're doing, programs, get busy. You know, I talk about this verse, it's um, um, Daniel 7.25, as the enemy, the devil, he roars non-stop at the people of God, trying to trying to ruin the reputation of the Father at the people of God, in the people of God. I'll read it properly. So he will speak against the Most High, has ruined God's reputation, and oppress God's holy people and try to change the set times and the set laws. See, even in the church, the enemy does this. He tries to make people so busy and so distracted and valuing all of the wrong things so that they will be busy and that they'll get worn out and that there'll be people who then will have their hearts distanced from God because now they don't know how to just sit with Jesus and be sitting at his feet, receiving from Jesus, receiving his word. Does that make sense? Churches have done that, you know, not just in America, in Australia too. I just said I've come back from there and I had quite a few people message me and meet, some meet with me and, and the same story. I'm just disillusioned with church. I'm hurt and it was the church that hurt me. Uh, what's the time? So just keep an eye on that. So people know the story of Mary and Martha, Martha and Mary. Luke, in Luke chapter 10, verse 38, it says this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what Jesus said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to take place. She came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Jesus said, Martha, Martha. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one, and Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Mary chose sitting at the feet of the Lord, Jesus. Mary chose proximity to his heart. 
Mary chose to put the distraction aside. Whatever the distraction is, it could be anything. Like it can be, uh, it can be my example, um, I have a very busy year coming up. I have a lot to do. I'm taking two classes right now and already one of the classes started a month ago when really tomorrow is the proper date. But I'm in Australia having to burn through a lot of books just to get ready for these classes going, I'm supposed to be on vacation, Jesus. (laughs) So I had the conversation and that's when God dropped that verse into my heart. Don't you worry. I've got you this year. Do it all. I've got you. You're going to flow in me. Right, so so it's not. It's, again, this is do obediently everything he's asking you to do. In the place of obedience, you flow with his anointing and you flow with his grace. He gives so much and so so lavishly to us to help us in everything that he's asking us to do. Everything that he's asking you to do, you have anointing to get up and do. So Mary chose what was better. She chose to sit at the Lord's feet and listen to what he was saying. Mary, Martha who is busy with all the distractions, was literally the example of the person who is uh, being roared at by the devil from the Daniel chapter 7 verse, being roared at, thinking and wrongly valuing all of the preparation and all of the concern and all of the worry. And it's not that we don't have work to do, but Martha had that sitting on her, sitting in her, causing her to strive and causing her to create other people around her to strive because she wanted Jesus to rebuke Mary for sitting at his feet and get up and go help Martha. Does that make sense? So all of that distraction, and we can even bring other people into our world of distraction, religiously even have, Jesus, you go tell her. She shouldn't be doing that, right? Religious ways of doing it instead of valuing the right thing, which is just being before the feet of Jesus. And see, here's the thing is the more, the closer we get with him, the more we just sit there, the more he gives us, the more he feeds us, the more revelation we get. We get to tune into his voice in a way that is... um, it builds confidence in us the more we just tune in, the more we practice this. If I am married to Clayton and I was to get up and just live in the same house but never talk to him, I, I, I am married to you. <laughs> so, but if I, you understand what I'm saying, like I can't have a relationship with someone and not talk to them. I can't have a relationship and not spend time. I can't have a relationship. I can know, you know, um, you could get on my Facebook page and have a look at a ton of my photos and read a ton of my posts and go, oh, I know her. But you don't really unless we spend face-to-face time. And it's the same with Jesus, right? It's, it's get time with him. In Mark verse, chapter 4, verse 22, it says this, Whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. Whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears, ears as physical and spiritual ears, to hear, let them hear. 24, and this is what I'm saying, the other verse 4, 24. Consider carefully what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Now, this is the thing is, Consider carefully what you are allowing into your life because if it is the words and the distraction and if it is the, if it is the um, other people's religious way of doing things or causing you to strive or think, thinking or you causing others to... If you, are, if you are allowing more of that into your life, that, this verse says, consider carefully what you hear because that's what you're going to receive more into your life. Um, another, I'm reading from the NIV, but another version says, um, with the measure... Uh, sorry, what does it say? I just forgot... <laughs> <laughs> and so it doesn't matter. Oh, it says, give careful attention 
to what you allow into your heart. And see, if we are being people who are giving careful attention to um, Jesus and allowing him to be the one that speaks first into our heart, allowing him to be the one that gives context for our life and our doing and my job and my mumming and whatever it is you can point your finger at in your own life, if you allow him to be the one to give you the context you need for all the things that you're doing, you will be giving, you, you'll be getting his revelation on how to do it. Not other people's opinion. Some of the opinions can be good, but some of them can be fully full of junk and something that we don't want to listen to. Jesus will never let you down. The Holy Spirit who is with you, in you, will never let you down. And so the more attention you give to your heart, to just knowing the one who saved your soul and who fills you and will never let you go, will never let you down, the more time you just give. And I'm not saying, okay, we've got jobs, we've got kids, and people are raising family, whatever. I'm not saying like every single moment of every single day needs to be occupied in that sense, but is in every single day and in all of the other things that do occupy, still invite him in and still have the conversation conversations with him on an ongoing basis invite him in to every day into every moment because he want, he's there anyway don't let him be the silent partner right I want to just give you another scripture and I really do want to wrap it up then so Mark 4.10 same, same chapter Mark 4.10 it's a little bit, little bit previous to the verses I just gave you when Jesus he, when he was alone the 12 and the others around him asked about the parables. And he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. I want to just say it again. I'll put it in a context that's a little bit different. When he was alone, when Jesus was alone, so now you have these people sitting at the feet of Jesus asking him about parables that he's previously taught that they didn't understand. And so they're going to him and asking, oh, I need some context. I need some understanding. I need some revelation and what that means. So they're sitting with him asking about the parables and he says, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. The secret of the kingdom of God is that Holy Spirit is here with us. Holy Spirit is here inside you living with you, around you, surrounding you. You have been baptised and fully immersed in his presence. He is the secret. The Holy Spirit now, God with us, living every single day. And he is the one. So when I'm saying sitting at the feet of Jesus, it's true to say that, it's right to say that, but who is with us here on the earth is, is the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus, the Bible says, is in heaven now praying for you and me. And it's the Holy Spirit who's been sent here to do life with us. And not in a small way, very lavish. He's very generous with his presence and very generous with the giving of himself. The secret of the kingdom has been given to you and I so that we would know the secrets of God, the many other secrets. The manifold wisdom of God has been made known to us through the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. And we don't have to run around and think that we're dependent on other people to get revelation. God wants to give it to you, his heart, into your heart, his understanding, his revelation to be made known to you. All of it. And that's what being part of the kingdom of God is about, understanding what it is to live in the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit empowered by him every day, hearing his voice, being obedient, living 
this life full of joy, even when circumstances should give you reason to not be full of joy. Because God is with you, even in the joyless circumstances, he's with you, filling you, giving you the ability to get up and keep going no matter what. So the secrets of the kingdom have been given to you. Jesus said the secrets of the kingdom have been given to you. From those who are on the outside, everything is said in parables. Who's on the outside? People who don't yet know Jesus. They're outside the kingdom of God because they still belong to the enemy kingdom. It's not a hard thing to sit with your Bible and if you go, I don't understand that verse, God, wait for him to give you some understanding. And if he doesn't give you understanding on that verse, read a couple more verses. And then just maybe there's maybe 10 verses later or five verses later or even another chapter or two later, now something hits your heart because that was what Holy Spirit was highlighting to you in the first place. He is very generous in the giving of himself, very generous in the making known himself. And this is what it requires Authentic church requires us to be people who will really understand what it means to be full of the Holy Spirit and live obedient every single day to him, knowing his voice and responding, not out of, not out of religious striving, but responding with a heart that just goes, I live to please the one I love. And it's Jesus. So the authentic church, I, I, 10 years, mark it. This decade will be a decade where we will see a lot of reviving and a lot of reform in God's church, in my life, in our lives just generally, but I mean across his church very broadly. It's no mistake, I was in Australia when the whole Iranian thing blew up, right? Horribly in one sense. But the Iranian church for the last five to ten years has been the fastest growing church in the world. And that church is exploding with the life of Jesus Christ and people are coming and getting baptised in like droves and droves of people are coming to Jesus Christ and it's just, we're not hearing anything about it in the media because it doesn't, it goes against their narrative. But it's the fastest growing church in the world. Do you know that countries like that now send missionaries here to America? Why? It's because God wants to reform and revive what's happening here too, that we'd be just as bold, that we'd get up with all the courage that they do in the same way they risk their life, that we'd get up with boldness. You are so good. Keep coming. Come on. (laughs) We'd be people who'd be authentically know our God and live fully obedient to him in every way, every aspect. Amen. Amen. I'm going to finish there. So, just the last thing, I'm finishing. Just the last thing is um, Peter took James and Peter, James, and John up onto the Mount, Tra- Mount of Transfiguration. It's in um, Mark 9 and Matthew 17, I think. Matthew 17, verse 2. Yes, it is. And Mark 9, 2, verse 2. And before the three disciples' eyes, Jesus was transfigured, transformed. The word is metamorphu. The Greek word is metamorphu. Just metamorphous, we know it as like when a worm is put into a cocoon and they come out after a little bit of time and they're looking like a completely different species of (laughs) bug, a butterfly. Does that make sense? It was such a radical change. Well, Jesus did that in front of Peter and James and John. But Jesus wants to have the same transformation happening in our lives. That we would be literally changed by him. 
that we'd be people who so, as I've talked about all night, be people who so are dependent upon God, dependent upon his very word as if it was our very breath in our physical lungs because it is the very breath into our spiritual, into our spirit. The spirit is called the breath of God. The very spirit of God coming in on the inside and transforming us and changing us that we literally would be transformed as Jesus was into people who carry so much light and so much glory that the world around about us is changed, not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is inside us. Don't ever be impressed by the person. Be impressed that the person's full of God, right? And this is, this is the very thing that God longs for us to be people who just be very full of him, very, very full, unafraid of what it means to carry this Holy Spirit. We're just earthen vessels. The Bible talks about us being clay, a bit broken and earthen vessels. But inside us is the most holy treasure of all. It's God, like God on the inside. So that's what I want to pray about. So um, just even now, just posture your heart before the Holy Spirit. And you just, you, you ask, you ask for him to come in a bigger way. You ask him to fill you in a bigger way, even if you did it already this morning. I do it a lot throughout every single day. Keep Just keep pressing in. Keep asking for the filling. So Holy Spirit, we do just welcome you. We do welcome you. And I do pray that you'd fill us to overflowing. I pray that you would fill us to overflow. Overflow. Overflow our lives. Overflow our lives. I know that you are in us to help us, but you're also in us and, and on us in a greater measure so that our lives would make a difference in the world around about us. And so I pray that we'd be people who would daily, daily seek your presence, that we'd be people who daily live according to your word, daily live according to your word because it's the very thing that we need to sustain our spirit man, which is the eternal man. As much as we eat breakfast, as much as we drink our coffee and have our lunch and our dinner and feed our physical body, God, I pray we'd be people who would just learn to be so dependent on you for your every word because that is what really feeds the spirit within us. Our human spirit is fed by you, by knowing you and listening to your words and receiving them into us. And I pray, God, that you'd fill us fully, fully. Speak to hearts. I pray where people haven't yet uh, experienced you in a big way or encountered you in a big way or, or heard you confidently to know it's your voice, I pray that that our, all of our people, even those, the many that are sick tonight and not even here, God, you can touch them just as much as you touch us in here. And I pray, Lord, that you would, that we would be people who are so dependent on you for every word, for every moment of every day, that we'd be inviting you in and honouring you as the one who saved us, as the one who deserves all of our life to be given back to you in beautiful, loving service. And that's not a hard thing. It's a very great, glorious thing to be brought into the service of King Jesus. I pray, Father, that we'd be people who just love you and that the passion in our life, our love would overflow and that you would really turn up like stoke that fire in our heart that the passion in us the love for you would burn brighter and brighter and brighter and inside that there'd be a passionate overflowing love and appreciation for who you are and what you've done in our lives I pray for healing to be ours father I pray that great great healing even that scripture father Oh, Jesus, where you said where you went into the town of the people who knew you and you couldn't do many miracles there because there was little honour. And I just pray we'd be people who honour you always, Jesus. That we'd be people who just have uh, oh, so highly esteem you 
but then also have incredible honour for one another because it's in that honour of loving relationship where um, that transaction of great honour and glory is ours every single day in our relationships. I pray, I pray for great revelation for that for our people, Father, that we'd be people who just honour hearts and honour lives because, God, you do because you came and made our heart your home. And so if you honoured us that way, we can surely honour others. And so help us. We want to be your hands and your feet and your mouth. Whatever you need, our lives are given to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources like this or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com.